Hey everybody, welcome to Monster Baby, a curious romp through the worlds of mindfulness and improvisation. My name is Lisa Rowland. My name is Ted DeMaison. And uh, this episode, this is our big number five, big uh, episode number five, which Huge. is very exciting. And in this episode, we talk about the tension between aspiration or ambition and acceptance present moment focus versus future focus and how you balance those two and whether it's bad to have aspiration or ambition is it directly contradictory to living in the present moment and accepting things as they are it's kind of a cool conversation yeah it's, it's a lot of paradox i have a feeling that many of the podcasts we do are going to be stepping into this realm of paradox yeah maybe because that's where the realm of truth is also Oh, Ted. Mm. Like but, 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 you know, listeners, kind, gentle listeners, check it out for yourselves. Yeah, and there's this, uh, this notion of accepting where we are versus striving to be somewhere else. And, you know, particularly mindfulness practice about accepting the moment, particularly improv about being present with what is, and yet we have these desires to get better, to be improve, or to do a certain kind or quality. To get something out of it or whatever it is. So uh, so that's the stuff that we're noodling on in this episode. And Noodling? Yeah. Love it. Yeah. No- noodle on it. Ramen noodles? No. Okay. Egg noodles. Ziti? We hope you enjoy. <laughs> and after the, epi- after the episode, you can decide what kind of noodles. Uh, what kind of noodles they are. Noodles, don't noodles. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Enjoy. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Guys, one more thing. Oh, we forgot. Before you listen to this podcast, you should know that about the first three and a half minutes or so is Ted and I playing a game, a word association game called Clover. And Clover is a game that can take a very short time or it can take a longer time. Yeah, and in our case, we we discovered that it took about three and a half minutes. So we just want to prepare you for that. If you start listening and you find yourself thinking, how long are they going to be word associating? (laughs) It's not the entire podcast. It's just about three and a half minutes. Yeah, and the reason we're telling you this is because the game is actually instructive for what we talk about later and we make reference to it. Yeah. So it's probably a helpful listen. And if you're listening in, while you're listening in, you can kind of play along with us and see what would you have said? Where might you have found a connection? And we explain the rules of the game and so on and so forth. Yeah, but so you'll hear that stuff, but we wanted to we wanted to give you a little preview of what to expect out of that. Yeah, so heads up, uh, enjoy and Alright, and now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Monster Baby. Is there a, a warm-up game that might have to do with our theme? I don't know. Striving for, well, Clover. Shall we? Sure. Let's just play a little Clover. Let's try it. Let's try it with Two-person Clover. Yeah. Okay, so this is a game called Clover. And the way it works is we're going to start with a word and kind of do a word association each person is going to associate from the previous word and only the previous word. Mm-hmm. And eventually we're going to get back around to that original word. Right. And the point that I think is really powerful about this game is that nobody is trying to get it there. But if we discover that it is going there, then we can, we can kind of clear the way for it. Yeah. But nobody's making that happen. Right. So, so let's... We, have to, we have to be kind of 
patient and and observant. You're allowing it to emerge, and there's a part of the brain that's kind of like, mm, maybe it's time to get there, or maybe well, it's coming around the corner. Well, maybe it's getting there, maybe, I think, right, yeah. rather than, I think now is the time, uh, which is, it feels like a difference. Okay, good. Okay. So let's start with the word turnstile. turnstile. So what's your first association off that? Bart. Subway. Metro. France. Paris. Eiffel Tower. Steel. Magnolia. Flower. Petal. Velvety. <laughs> Go ahead, say it. You're not know it. Bobby Vinson. Uh, Vincent Van Gogh. <laughs> Starry Night. Movement. Dance. Prom. Flowers. Field. Pasture. Fence. Cow. Moo. Oink. Pig. Swine. Uh, uh, um, pearls. Jewelry. Jewels. Findlay. Finland. Denmark. Um, Scandinavia. Vikings. Long boats. Paddles. <laughs> Doggy. Kitty. Oh, Jude. Hey. Horses. Kentucky Derby. Race. Crowd. Pleaser. Enabler. Alcoholic. Beer. Brew. Pub. Uh, uh, public. Enemy. Defender. <laughs> Air Force. One. Two. Couple. Pair. Fruit. Vine. Grape. Wine. Women. Song. Sing. Sang. Has been. Forgotten. Memory. Trace. Paper. Factory. Con uh, uh, assembly line. Well, conveyor belt is what I first thought of. Uh, conveyor belt? Yes. Airport. Luggage. Check-in. Turnstile. Turnstile. <laughs> <laughs> that took a long time. Took a long time. That was quite a journey. Yeah. But kind of cool. Yeah. There was one point I thought we might get to it. I was like, Kentucky Derby? I was imagining like all the people that are going I, through. The I thought we might got, have gotten there when we were in cow, cow fence. Yes, fence pasture, post. Pasture, fence, you know, and I was like, oh, there's turnstiles and yep. fences. Yep, I heard that too. Uh, but it didn't. It didn't. It's, it's so fascinating. That one took a while. Yeah. That game brings so much of what I think we want to talk about today in because it, by the way, Clover is a game 
created by that we learned from Pam Victor, who's in Western Mass. Yeah, I don't know if she created it, but she's the one who introduced she's us. She's the to one who we, we got it from her, and uh, and I love that game, and I feel like it brings this question into into play so clearly, which is this the issue that we want to start exploring, which is ambition versus acceptance, or having a goal and being present having an end goal in mind or a place that you want to get to and playing the moment that you're in and how do those things live together? Yeah, and this it's a huge question in both mindfulness and improvisation. Yeah. And it's one that got stirred for me last week when I was in Turkey, the country. I was not inside a bird. Uh, but I was doing this workshop and we did a very simple Exercise. We did what we call a dot B. So it's from the dot B curriculum, period, the letter B. It's a curriculum for teens. It's the name of the curriculum. It's also the name of an exercise. And in the exercise, you just pause. So the dot becomes like a period mark at the end of a sentence. Yeah. You pause and you feel your feet. And you feel your breathing for a couple moments. And you take a moment, a couple moments just to be. And so when I do this exercise, I have people mill about as if they're in a hurry and they're rushing and, oh my God, you got to check your list and you uh, pick up the groceries and forgot to get the kid at the store. Yeah. And anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Ramp that up. And then we, ding, pause, do a dot B. And then I have them move around again as if they're still in a hurry, do another one and do it a third time. And usually folks notice that after the first time of doing that dot B, the hurry changes. You're still hurrying, but it's not quite so frantic and you can still move quickly without having to be frantic at the end of this exercise or at the end of the night this woman said I was amazed at how easy mindfulness is like all we had to do was that dot B and I felt so much more relaxed so much more present with everybody in the room and I thought it is that easy right I mean all you have to do is pause catch your breath bring yourself present and you're here yeah Great. Yeah. And it's not at all that easy. I would say it's simple. Okay, nice. But it's not easy. It's so simple. It, uh, yeah. It, it could be either. It could it, be both. Right? right, right. But there are things... Ease. ease it's so easy. It makes it sound like that doesn't take anything at all. Which it doesn't, but somehow it doesn't. We don't do it, right? It's harder to actually decide to do it. Yeah, okay. And maybe so, that's the distinction, right, is so, deciding is hard. Well, and, okay, so that felt true in that moment. Yeah. And when I was in Turkey, I had the hardest time with my own personal practice. I was tired a lot from the jet lag and from our schedule, and we were bouncing around. I didn't really get good sleep. I was in a foreign country where I didn't speak the language, and so it was kind of overstimulated all the time. I was in Istanbul for part of the time, which is 16 million people and traffic patterns that don't make any sense to a Westerner. And Well, they do make some sense, but people do stuff you wouldn't expect. I felt stressed all the time, and I kept trying to get into a place where, like, why am I so frustrated all the time? Why am I so short of temper and... And I kept trying to just, okay, just breathe, just be here, just notice. And it was so hard. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I ever really found it. And I felt largely frustrated the whole time I was there. I did fine. It was fun. I had saw beautiful places and had good times with my friends. And the workshop went really well. But I left thinking like, God, I just didn't do that well at all. 
So here's a question. Is when you say didn't do that well, you mean you didn't do well at, like, how do you know you didn't do well? Because you were frustrated? Yeah, this is a good question. Um, I couldn't find I couldn't find a piece, right? And so usually if I heard that from other people, I'd say, well, how did you relate to not finding a piece? Mm-hmm. Can you just be with that? And I felt like I was... I used whatever mindfulness skill I have to do a couple levels of that. And mm-hmm. usually there's some piece at a, at a meta meta level. Oh, look, I'm frustrated about being frustrated. But the part of me that's observing this isn't frustrated. Yeah. But I couldn't get there. Yeah. Interesting. And so, so the, I... The frustration was permeating. Yeah. So this part of me just felt like, this is not easy. This is hard. I'm not good at this. Uh, I've been doing this for a handful of years, trying to do this. I'm not good at this. Interesting. Interesting leap, right? Right. It wasn't like I'm, I'm a terrible person. It just was no, more but, like... No, but the idea that this is hard, ergo, I'm not good at this, oh, is right. like, well, this is hard. Yeah. You're good at this, yeah. and this is hard. Yeah. It's like, if I felt like I'm not good at th- which I do, after a scene goes poorly or a bad show, and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing in this right. field anymore. Like, it goes deep quick, but I always have to bring myself back to like, this is hard. <laughs> yeah, and so this is totally true with improv too. Yeah. So it's like, on one level, it's easy. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to strive. I just need to get out there and be See present. What happens and be present and accept offers. All we got to do is accept offers. So if we do that, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Especially if I'm with someone else who's just doing the same thing. It's yeah, great. Right. And then it can feel like the hardest thing in the world. Like, oh my God, I'm terrible at this. Again, making that leap. And I. After we did our show at Phillips Exeter, yeah. the two of us, um, or I don't remember if it was after that show or before a different show, but you were feeling, you were looking uh, toward a show, feeling a little nervous and like, am I going to be good at this? And I'm thinking, Lisa Rold, are you going to be good at this improv show? I'm thinking, are you crazy? You're like fantastic at this. And yet it was still arising for you that oh kind god of yeah feeling like you maybe you weren't good at this yeah or or i guess the thing that really gets me and i i don't know if there's a corollary correlation or the an equivalent in mindfulness is that there's this big piece of mystery in improv that no matter how long i've worked at it i don't think i'm gonna figure out hmm. that there are th- it, it's not and thank god i think this is one of the reasons that we do it is for the surprise and the positive side of surprise right. is like delight and joy and oh my God, this is so, I never, I could never have predicted we'd go here. But the negative side of surprise is like, man, I thought I did all of my best improv and this scene is not working. And I, you tell me why. Like we yeah. assemble brilliant improvisers onto a stage and the show doesn't go well. And sometimes you can tell why and sometimes it's like, ah, I uh, I don't know. It just kind of didn't get moving in the right direction. And that that mystery is forever humbling and exciting and all mm-hmm. and problematic at times because it's like, yeah, there's some that I'm I'm responsible for and there is some that I am not responsible for. You ever feel like you're in those difficult situations that you're like reaching back into your toolkit and it's like <laughs> in the movies he reaches in for a for an arrow and he pulls out like a can of tuna fish. <laughs> He's like, what the? And he reaches in for something else, and it's like, you know, a, a Bible or something. That's and, really funny. You know, I felt like that in Turkey. Like, okay, I know. I'd have my tools. I have my tools. I'll just catch my breath. I'll sit for ten minutes. I'll write in my journal. 
and I'll oftentimes I work myself out of this stuff verbally, but I couldn't use my verbal skills because I couldn't speak to anybody except mm-hmm. for my friend who was there, and some of our conversations got tricky too. Yeah, and so I like I kept reaching back, and there was nothing, nothing in the toolkit mm-hmm. except the can of spinach. Right. <laughs> I'll try to just eat some protein. I'll eat a protein bar. Will that help? No. I, I feel that way sometimes in scenes, too. Where, like, okay, I'm looking at my partner. No, that's not working. Uh, I'm just listening. No, that's not working. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It's just fascinating to me that they can be so simultaneously easy yeah. and difficult. So I, wa- I have a question for you. Now, at this point, however long removed, you know, you've been back for a little bit. Do you have a perspective on that? Or or do you feel like what was stopping you from getting there now that you're kind of out of that situation mm-hmm. and all of your rev isn't in full gear, you know? Right. Which I can imagine a lot of things stopping you from relaxing in those moments, right? Fear, anxiety, like all of the things that kind of get in the way. Yes. Being, being on overdrive in that situation because everything is unfamiliar and that's highly dangerous for, you know primitive brain or whatever but so but in in retrospect do you have any different perspective on it it may sound a little dismissive or sidestepping i think fundamentally it was fatigue and disruption of food cycle food pattern and so your body was not cared for. I just was, I couldn't find the resources because biochemically I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Right? I didn't have what I needed. Yeah. And I actually think with mindfulness practice or almost any self-help uh, technique, really what you need to do is you need to go to sleep, you need to exercise, you need to eat well. If you do those things, you're probably going to feel at least 50% better. Yeah. You know, and for me, the eating well means not eating sugar, not eating white flour, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. If I take care of those, everything's fine. So when I come back here, I'm like, I don't know how much of that was the stress of being in a new country and not being able to speak the language. Like the emotional stress. How much was emotional, how much was physical? Just the physical being off kilter. Yeah. Flying 10 time zones. Yeah. In a day and a half. Right. Um, and I know the same is true for me on stage. So, you know, we had a, a weekend of performing a couple weeks ago. I was in a show in the morning. I was tired. I was like, ah, boy, I couldn't find it. Didn't feel good. Later on, I looked back on the, some of the scenes that I was in. I was like, those were fine. In the moment, I felt like, oh, this is crap. Yeah. But later in the evening, I felt like, great, this is good. Here we go. Totally confident. Yeah. So it's you know, <laughs> it might undo the self help industry if it was just like, eat your broccoli, <laughs> go for a walk, yeah. and take a nap. I love those programs that say they're especially weight loss programs where it's like a pill or a f- program, a fast or something, right? Or a yeah, some sort of a product that changes the way your body relates to food or whatever. But it's always accompanied by if you're ready to make a lifestyle change then this may help you. And I'm like, if you're ready to make a lifestyle change, you don't need this. Just make the lifestyle change. Just make the lifestyle change and you'll have what you need. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So I think this this leads us nicely into another place we want to go here is with 
you know, you and I are improvisers and mindfulness practitioners. We're also applied improvisers and applied mindfulness practitioners. So it's taking that meditation time and seeing, can it affect how I live my everyday moment? So mm -hmm. when I'm in the grocery store, when I'm on the phone with my parents, or when I am going to have a job interview or something, yeah. can I practice mindfulness? Right. Or when I'm deciding what to do next with my life, like we talked about last episode, yeah. can I apply these improvisational principles? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But I think that there there is an interesting thing to to look at, and we may want to look at it now or maybe another time, which is before even getting to the applied thing, like you discovered that one of the things that stops you in the moment from actually being able to practice well is if my physical needs are out of whack or are not cared for, I don't have the resources to, to when things are challenging, get still and get right. okay and, and pull those to, you know, bring those those to have the right tools, yes. reach back and pull out the tool you thought you, that you thought you were going for. And it's interesting to think, to think about in improv when I find myself like, why, what's, so what are the things that stop me in those moments where after the, after the show, I'm like, Oh, why did I do that? Like, I know better than that is like what gets in the way. And I, uh, I think, I don't, I don't know for sure. I think one of them is, is habit hmm. and default. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting question because we talk about being obvious and going with what's on the top of your head, but you'll never change your defaults if you do that, right? You'll never change your patterns if you only go with what's at the top of your head, right? If you never consciously break out of your patterns. Unless, yeah, I guess unless you've worked so much to get that flow as wider ranging. Right. Right, at, mm -hmm. at some point. So I guess you got, you got to work on it at some point. Um, so I, so habit is one of the things. And I think a lack of trust, which I suppose could be called fear, is it another thing. Yeah. I think, well, you're saying the patterns. I mean, we talk about neuroplasticity. We sort of build these ways of thinking or ways of being. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, if, if I have this pattern of I've, when I get up on stage, I'm fearful it's going to be really hard to, it's going to take a number of experiences to override that and create a new neural pathway Yeah. to say, oh, I'm on stage. I can be excited. Or if I'm fearful and therefore when I'm on stage, I'm negative and yes. the negativity becomes the pattern, even if I get less and less fearful, right? I get less and less negative. Sure, the negativity or, could extend, could keep The going. negativity yes. is something I've practiced. Yeah. So, I, so I go back to that because it's comfortable. I'm really comfortable in that. Yeah, I think there's a couple other things that that make these things hard. And so, you know, you're talking about patterns. We talked about fatigue and hunger or sort of our biochemical state. Um, with mindfulness, at least, there's the nature of the mind. Like, it's just, it's going to wander. It's hard for it to settle down. It's curious. It wants to explore. So there's that. Um, there's the circumstances of the world. So what's coming at you. So when I was in Turkey, yeah, a lot of the outside stimulus and, but, um, there's two other pieces that I think are really interesting to explore. One is whether we have people around us to support what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So in mindfulness, do I have a practice community? Mm -hmm. This is what we were talking about in an earlier episode, right? Or if, when I'm doing improv, are the people on stage with me trying to do the same thing? Are we trying to be in the same mode, the same style, the same approach? Um, so that's one is who's the 
Who's the association? Mm-hmm. And then the other is this self-judgment or desire to be good. Right. Well, I want to be a good improviser. I want to be a good meditator. Right. That those things get in the way of actually being good. That desire, if it's if it's held too tightly, I gets in the way. Challenge that. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it. I challenge that. I think, in my experience, it's important to want to be a good improviser. I think it's driven me. It's driven me. I care. I care that I'm good. Okay. So I care. You know, and there's something that drives me to do mindfulness. That like there's something that I believe I'm going to get out of this, and it's important to me to continue doing it. And and maybe those two are different because in improv, I'm performing. I've made my living at it. Right. So I, and people and it's highly visible. But you but you're making your living on mindfulness, and that depends on you having a practice and you actually pulling those things. So it, it does matter that I that I'm good at this, and and that does drive me. I think in really important ways. And this is actually an interesting. I mean, yeah. This is a question. This is a question, and I wonder. I wonder how it, how it relates in in mindfulness. Mm-hmm. In improv, I feel like the the point is how you how uh, let's see. When it matters. When the desire to be good matters? Yes. So when I don't, I don't, I tend to really not, I have to put that desire away in shows. Okay. During shows, I got to put it away. Yeah. But what I work on in workouts and whether I take joy in being good, it, like if I feel like I've done great improv and it's, and, it's, and it's shown really well, so the show succeeded because yeah. I felt really proud of the calls that I made or whatever, I feel good about that. You know, like yes. I do have some attachment to that. And in, in workouts, it really drives me to explore things and get better at things and seek notes and work. And so I feel like there are times for that, like, I want to be the best improviser I can be. That feels like a really powerful and positive thing. Yeah, and it feels a little different to say, I want to be the best improviser I can be, than to say, I want to be a good improviser. It's almost like the desire to be the best improviser you can be is like a fire underneath you that gets something boiling, gets ah. some movement going, right? And then the, like, am I a good improviser is after the fact, looking back, judging, rather than the, the motivation before somehow. Oh, I wonder if it's also an internal-external thing. That being okay. the best improviser right. I can be is motivated by me fulfilling my my potential and being a good improviser maybe carries with it some connotation of objectively good or good by some external standard. Yeah. Well, I think there's also some element, of course, of like a... What's the, what's the mindset around it? Is it a growth mindset? So, sure, I have this desire to be good. And this is where attachment comes in. Is like, can I recognize that the way to get good is going to be a process. Mm-hmm. And so there are going to be days where I'm not good. Right. Moments, uh, yeah. moments where I'm not good, but I'm going to get incrementally better, or maybe I'm going to plateau for a year, and it's going to feel like I'm doing the same thing, and I'm banging my head against the wall, but I stick with it. And then two or three years later, it's like I look back and I go, oh, I'm actually better now. I've gotten better. Um, so how does this relate? Like, is there any value in wanting to be good at m- mindfulness or yeah. wanting to, you know, what is the, what's the, uh... yeah, I think yes, yes and no. Oh, that sounds so wishy-washy. Yeah. Hmm. 
Hmm. I don't think it's wishy-washy. I think it's par- I think the truth is paradoxical. Uh-huh. So to have an aspiration to be a, a a mindfulness to be a good mindfulness practitioner or effective or something, to be able to see the moment clearly and to not be so reactive, like that's a great aspiration to have. And it's important not to get too attached to it, to like to get too grippy or too tight around. It's like, oh, I'm not good. Well, then you're not being present in what's here. And and so it's really, I don't know, in Buddhism, one of the, the eightfold path is the Buddha's prescription for how to end suffering in the world. And right intention is one of the folds on that path. The right intention is to... Uh, develop wisdom, and to ease the suffering of all beings. Those are the two components to it. Any other intention, probably not going to lead you to the direction. The first one was what? To develop wisdom or insight. To develop wisdom or insight and ease suffering of all beings. Yeah, Yeah. so you could say to see things clearly or to awaken, to reach enlightenment, and then to ease suffering of all beings. So it's like if you're striving for those two things, great. But even if you get too clutchy around that, there's still... A little bit of, a little bit of problem. I don't know. There, so here, so here's something. Here's a question. Sorry. Go ahead. So, Patricia Ryan Madsen, the woman who taught us both improv, uh, gave me a book recently called "Bring Me That Rhinoceros" by John Tarrant, and it's about Zen koans. So Zen koans are riddles that are meant to short circuit the intellectual mind to lead you to truth, and. This, uh, he's talking about uh, a koan in chapter 10. The chapter is called The Great Way is Not Difficult. And the koan is this. The great way is not difficult if you just don't pick and choose. Hmm. Great way is not difficult if you just don't pick and choose. And so it's like our preferences or a desire for things to be a certain way get us in trouble. Right? So he says... Uh, Quote, you might be armored against an unpleasant event that turns out not to be. Instead of wrestling toward what you are convinced ought to be going on, it might be refreshing to approach events without armor. Meeting their nakedness with your own nakedness. That might also be a kind approach since it sets up no conflict in your own heart. Mm. Right? So interesting if we can meet the world as it is without wanting it to be different then something different can step forward within us. Um, And the great way becomes not difficult. Mm -hmm. But here's this twist that really fired me up when I read this. So he said, quote, everyone knows that Buddhism is about non-attachment and people might think that not picking and choosing is about having no preferences, which is kind of how I just explained it. Yeah. And he continues and says, yet... Non-attachment might lead to warfare with a part of you that enjoys the world. In this case, non-attachment will be just another tyrannical belief and itself a source of unhappiness. Not picking and choosing could be the opposite of non-attachment, something more unsettling and demanding. If someone asks you, vanilla or chocolate, and you notice that today you would like vanilla and say so, that might be not picking and choosing. If you say, I don't mind, what are you having? then that could well be picking and choosing. You might be trying to guess what your host wants. You might want vanilla, but be unwilling to reveal yourself by saying so. Wow. Oh, 
That is awesome. Right? So it's like, if, if my natural desire in this moment is wanting something, to not pick and choose is to acknowledge that that's what's real. And want it. And to just be present with Say it. Say it, yeah. yeah. So you're wow, that's really cool. Yeah. So then bringing that back around to our other discussion is yeah. like, well, I'm wanting to be a good improviser in this moment. What if that's just what it is? I'm not needing it to be something, not needing myself to be something other than what I am right now. Yeah. You know, it, and I think that opens up a, a spaciousness. And so it's the, this is what I'm saying about can we have these desires and hold them lightly? Yeah. It's all, like, again, paradox. Like, I want this, sort of clutching my fist as if I'm holding on to a broomstick or something. Yeah. And yet I'm going to loosen my grip. So, you know, but that, that's another interesting analogy. In softball, when you're swinging a bat, you think, I want to swing hard. If you grip the bat super tightly, your wrists get tense and you don't have the fluidity to get your full snap, uh-huh. which is where the real power comes from. Yeah. You know. Can you want something without clutching for it? Without needing it. Without needing it. Mm. Mm. So many questions. <laughs> so many questions. <laughs> that is fascinating. Vanilla or chocolate? Are you asking me that? Yeah. Vanilla. Okay. Yeah. That's what... Great, let me get you some. That feels nice. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's all sorts of things. I mean, so it makes me think of a couple of things. Number one, yeah, so you're letting what is there be there. And Mm -hmm. if that's a preference, then great. Let it be there. And you may or may not get it. Right. You may or may not get your preference. That's right. Which I guess is a part of it. Yep. So if you can own that you've got one and have the chance to achieve it, then great. And if you can own that you've got one and realize that you may or may not get it, then that's what you need then need to notice what what is there. Yeah. And accept it. Hi, Luna is joining us. If you can hear that meowing. Hey, Luna's. Um, So that so so John Tarrant is saying don't even get it don't you can't you're defeating the purpose if you're getting attached to having no attachments. That's correct. Like I want so badly to be neutral and accepting and fine, and sometimes I want stuff, and so I'm fighting against what's actually there. If the whole point is that we're not fighting against what is here, preference could be a part of that. That's right. Be- unfortunate circumstances could be a part of that. Difficulty in relationship could be a part of that. Like all of that is. Accepting what is here. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a part of that. So I get to accept what is coming up from me as well. And not armoring ourselves against that. Meeting that reality with the nakedness of that reality with our own nakedness. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah, it's tricky. And somewhat frightening. Yeah. You know, because it, it does mean letting a guard down. But what I think he's saying is that there is a a nimbleness and uh, a vitality that comes out of doing so. Mm-hmm. And it's like that discovery of improv. I'm going to let myself be naked to this. I don't know what's happening. And something else comes out of it like, ooh, that's fun. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, one of the things that got me started thinking about all this was Ben Johnson, one of the, one of the BATS improvisers that you perform with. Uh, Improv Playhouse of San Francisco member like you are. And when he was teaching a class, 
he was talking about this tension and he said, you know, this was with a foundation level three class. So folks who've been taking improv for some time, but not for very long. And he said, you know, we're, we do want to free up that part of us that would edit and trim things out and would judge things before we say them. So we just have a free flow of energy. Yeah. And we, we're, you're getting to the point where we can talk about that we want to set an, uh, a standard for ourselves, that we have an intention for what kind of improv we'd like to do. And he said a couple of things that I thought, yeah, that's what the kind of improv I want to do. One is to do a scene that's the dialogue is so good that it seems like it was written beforehand. Uh-huh. Oh, I love that standard. Yeah. Another is to make the audience cry because something is so poignant. Mm-hmm. That's a standard I'd love. I'd love to do improv that well. You know, and then for me, the the standard I, I think I lean on the most, more than anything, is when I leave the stage, did my teammates, my playmates, have fun partly because I was there? Like, did I help them have a good time? Mm-hmm. Would they want to come back with me on stage? Yeah. And if I've done that, then sort of everything's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, okay, I those are my aspirations for improv. Mm-hmm. And in... In mindfulness practice, I think my aspirations would be to be present as often as I can, to continually choose connection over isolation. Um, that's an interesting one. So that sort of gets into the second circle, which we haven't spoken about on the podcast, but I think maybe we will someday. Um, yeah, so presence, being present, being connected, and then also finding a resourcefulness so I don't, I'm not so reactive mm-hmm. with my judgment or my pushing away or my disliking of things or my gripping to things that I do like. Yeah. And going back to the whole turkey thing, it's interesting because I felt like I wasn't doing a good job with mindfulness, but I did maintain that. There were a few times where I got really low, like I had no buffer. There was one time I was literally shaking because I was so hungry. And I knew I needed to get food, and so we were going to get breakfast. But I basically just stopped talking because I knew that if I said something, it was going to be something I didn't want to say. Uh-huh. So I was like, I just need to get food. Let's get food. The world will be different once I've had food. And it was. Yeah. And I mean, although actually it took like half an hour. I mean, even as I was eating, I was still shaking. Yeah. Um, but I did maintain that. So, awesome. So there was some level of like, okay. You're good at this. I'm good at this. <laughs> <laughs> that must mean you're good at I'm this. I'm such a good mindfulness practitioner. So maybe it's this. So in this interplay, in this dance between where I think I am and where I want to be, it's almost like where you want to be is is like a, it's like a red herring. It, it's almost irrelevant in this moment of where we are. Okay. So, so that like focus needs to... Oh yeah, I've been thinking about this lately. That that maybe we need to redefine our our goals from where we want to, from what to how. So mm. like, I want to be a good improviser. It feels like a like you mentioned a fixed state, and and after every scene, I can go. Am I a good improviser? Did I was that a good scene? And therefore, what does it mean about my identity? This thing that I right. decided Yay I want or to nay. be. Yay or nay? Is binary? Am I a good improviser? Or am I not? I picture some guy in like a metal helmet as an executioner, like 
good improviser, not. <laughs> yeah, right. Or like in Willy Wonka where it's like good egg, right, yeah. bad egg. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, so, and so what if we don't think about that, but rather we, we prioritize how we want to be. Mm-hmm. And that maybe you could be the next time you walk on stage rather than, oh, I've got to trudge up this hill to get to be a good improviser. Instead, it's like, okay, well, well why? What, what are the things that a good improviser does? And, and shift your focus to, okay, how do I want to be in this next scene? And probably the more you practice being the way you want to be, the closer you'll get to the thing you want to be. It's a pr- yeah, the process aspiration creates... The product. The product goal, the product yeah. end result. But you kind of can't ever want that, right? So before Awkward Dinner Party, which is a group that I am in with Dave Dennison, it's a three-person group, and it's always, or it's a two-person group, but we invite a guest to play with us, so it's a three-person show. And almost without fail, before the show, standing in the dark, the thing that I always, it comes up, because I get real nervous. It's a three-person mm-hmm. show, and, you know, it's like very, if it goes poorly, you're a big fat part of that, you know, yeah. so it feels much riskier. And when we're standing in the dark before the show, the lights are kind of coming down or whatever. I generally turn to Dave and I say, I might suck. I might suck tonight. And he goes, that's okay. And then I, and then I've let it go. Nice. Like, and then it frees me up and I'm like, bless him. I love that. He is always like, all right. I can handle that. Yeah. And he's not saying, that's okay, I can carry you. He's just saying, you'll be, you know, that's okay. Yeah. We'll just go do a show. That'll be what it is. Yeah. It's okay, you don't have to be good. Yeah. And so that is like the most powerful thing to remind myself of right before I go on stage is you don't have to be good. And the times that I can remember having a bad time on stage, one of the times in particular was when there was someone in the audience I really wanted to impress. Oh, isn't that interesting? I really wanted them to think I was a good improviser. Was this like like a potential date or something? One time it was a potential date kind of person. Another another time it was a visiting improviser from far away, and she she had come through and she had taught us workshops. I was in her workshop. I like really loved her style and her teaching, and wanted so badly yeah. for her to think I was great. Mm. And so I we did this theater sports show, and I felt so uptight the whole time and I don't think I performed well and I didn't have a good time like everything went out the yep. window so it's this thing of so this is how why it's like clover which is like we can know that that word is supposed to come back around but in the moment really what we have to do is just word associate just word associate just play just play the moment say what comes next and it will emerge of its own accord. Yes. And there is a... It, it won't if we don't remember that that's part of the process. Oh, so that's a great point, right? Because in Clover, you have to remember the word. you got to remember that, that eventually that's what we're... That we, yeah. In, in order for us to help it happen when we notice it happening, we've got to remember that that's, that that's ultimately where we kind of want to get to. Here's another image that just came to me. It's kind of like throwing a magnet out into the future. Hmm. Or like, you know, so out in the field. And so you can kind of forget that it's there, but it's still going to be offering this pull to the iron filings within you or whatever metal you have on you. It's like, and you're going to slowly get brought back into its orbit. Yeah. But it's not like this big glowing orb that's lighting up the field that you threw the magnet into. It's just like, just toss the magnet out there. Yeah. You got to remember the magnet's there. 
I don't know if that analogy works or not. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the idea of, of having, I, I think we mentioned it on the, on the podcast where we were talking about sharing controls. Like Bold. You still got me you, boldness. You put something out there and it's not that that's where you're going to end up, but that is going to lead you into motion to whatever is coming next. Yeah. And so it's like an intention. Okay, so then it... Yeah, although, although in Clover, that is where we're going to end up. We do want to end up there. So there is a, a stated and specific goal yes. that in that game doesn't change. Yes. So, you know, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to imagine what that, what that goal mm-hmm. is in our, in, in our trajectories of becoming good practitioners or good improvisers is I've got to, you know... Or, or even good people. Or good people. All right, so let me ask you a question. Yeah. What is your mindfulness aspiration? Why do I do it? What, what good do I hope it brings me? Yeah, what's, your, what's the magnet you're tossing out there to try to pull you towards it? You know, that's a great question. And sometimes I ask... I sometimes, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't even have any idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it seems like a good idea. Yeah. Uh, I think that the the things that I really want to get out of it are focus and freedom. Hmm. Any other F words? One that I'm not sure I should mention on the podcast. Yeah, fondue. fondue. I think we can go that's ahead and right. say that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, the the I think training training myself to 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 notice more about this very moment mm-hmm. is a really powerful skill because I do find myself getting I can sp- I can spin out pretty easily and so having a recentering is a very important aspect mm. of keeping myself healthy and and feeling like I have some sort of balance and meditation is a really good clear way mm-hmm. for me to do that yeah of just get with yourself and I think part of that is because my natural energies go straight to other people. They go straight out to other people. Right. And it's hard for me sometimes to notice myself in that. It's like I kind of merge a little bit. Hmm. So So part of part of your hope in doing mindfulness is to have a centering quality. A centering quality, yes. Hmm. Yes. That makes sense. I think that mine is that I wanna be I wanna be more focused, like you said. Uh less distractible and and more graceful or resilient or resourceful you know i I, want to be a good person i want to be kind i want to be playful i want to be creative and i think that mindfulness helps me do that so like wanting to be a good practitioner is is wanting to get to those places Mm mm-hmm so that's an interesting thing, though, because what you just said is wanting to be a good practitioner, which is different than wanting to be a good person. Like, can you be... Because I think you can be a good practitioner without having ar- arrived at those places. Is that sure. you're... Because you're doing... You, you are being in the way that you want to be. And that's the thing. That's the word associating. You're doing it. You're doing the word associating. Even yeah. if we haven't gotten back to turnstile... Yet. You're... You're doing it, right? So you're so we are being good practitioners of clover before we have ever gotten to the to the 
ultimate word. And and I think that's where this applied mindfulness or applied improv comes in is like the point isn't to be the best meditator or the best improviser. Though heck, that would be nice. It's to be doing what you're doing and to keep doing it. Yeah. So yeah, there you have it, people. <laughs> do what you do and keep doing it. That's our wisdom for the day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're so brilliant. And want stuff or don't want stuff. <laughs> Whatever. You know, if you want things, you're just uh, contradicting what's there to not want to want them. Hey, vanilla. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Turnstile. Vanilla. It's all good. That's <laughs> all you need. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a powerful question. I I want to. Twice now I have mentioned an Alan Watts quote that I have never been able to recall, to call back up. Here it is. This is from The Wisdom of Insecurity okay. by Alan Watts. He says, The meaning of freedom can never be grasped by the divided mind. If I feel separate from my experience and from the world, freedom will seem to be the extent to which I can push the world around and fate the extent to which the world pushes me around. But to the whole mind, there is no contrast of I and the world. There is just one process acting, and it does everything that happens. It raises my little finger, and it creates earthquakes. Or, if you want to put it that way, I raise my little finger and also make earthquakes. No one fates, and no one is being fated. It's a little weird in the second part of that quote, but I think that the interesting part is... That's where it was getting interesting. If I feel separate from my experience, then the freedom will be to seem to be the extent to which I push the world around and fate the extent to which the world pushes me around. It's, and it's... So, it, 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 like, I'm either winning because I'm making my thing happen, or right. I'm, being, I'm a victim of the world. And both of those are high judgment, judgment call, high value judgment places. Yes. Of... So you make the connection to how that works into our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely fits into our conversation, our earlier conversation in an earlier episode about shared control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm trying to make my thing happen rather than being in interaction, interplay with whatever else is happening at the mm-hmm. same time. I'm either doing or being done to. Yeah. And it's like, what if we're just all contributing? But I think that the what we're talking about in terms of having an aspiration or an ambition could be that, you know, can I control the future? Can I control my world to look like how I want it to be? Can I control my own life? Right. My own being to make it look like how I want it to be? And if not, then I'm getting buffeted by life circumstances. Yeah. It really, I mean, so much of it is about process. God, yeah. Can we maintain that process approach? And I think that, you know, another way of saying process is present moment. Because the present moment is happening. It's right now. Right. So there's this interesting... Yeah, yeah. There's this interesting, you know, an, another thing about improv, the way I'm relating it to improv, is of course you want to do good scenes, but that can't be your goal when you go on stage. You have to just do the work. You're not guaranteed a good scene. But what you can promise is that you, is that you can get out there and do the best work that you can. You can't promise... That it, that's how I feel about trust and compassion in a way as well. It's like you can't promise that good things are going to happen to you, but you can move through the world in a trust and compassionate way. Like you can choose, you can choose how you want to be. You can't always choose what it's gonna, where it's gonna get you. Right. But whether it gets you there or not, you have been how you want to be in that moment. In all of the moments. That's right. And and so ultimately, 
Does it matter where it's gotten you, right? The alternative is that you put all your effort and, and attention on where you need to get to, and in the meantime, and then all of success rides on whether you get there or not. And in the meantime, you have not been the way that you want to be. And that feels like a sh that, that's not the way I want to do it. That's not how you want to do it. Whereas if you have all along been the way you want to be, the then result doesn't matter as much. It doesn't matter as much. And ironically, or, or paradoxically, it is kind of more likely to be to get you yes. in the direction that you had hoped it would. But you got to do that thing of letting go and trusting that if you are doing the work, it will move you in the, in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, that, that to me sounds like the, you know, if you want to really be excellent and brilliant, you have to let yourself be average. Mm-hmm. And you can't be average for the sake of being excellent. It's got to, you've got to buy into <laughs> you can't, it. You can't be average and then, and then hope somebody notices how awesomely average you were. <laughs> right. Did you see how average I was? Oh, the most average person in this whole brilliant, class. Yeah. Brilliant. Right. 99th percentile average. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're so, so great at average. But that's, it's like we laugh, but people totally go about it that way. Yeah. You know? So. I'm glad we answered all this. I think we answered Clear, all the questions. Cleared this up. Yep. Cleared it up. So, yeah, I know. Uh, I, I want this to be the best podcast in the world, but I don't care. It's really fun. <laughs> I, uh, it does make me, I think, leaving this conversation, I will... It, it just refocuses me on getting... I think the power of having a goal is that it, you've gotten specific about where you want to go. And that that's powerful. And I, what I would like to do in my life is to be just as specific about how I want to be. So to set your, to set process goals or process benchmarks or something, is that what you're saying? Not benchmarks, but like, so how do I want to be? Okay. I want to approach the day in these following ways. I want to approach the week in these ways mm -hmm. so that I'm moving through life in the way that I want to be moving through them. But I have to get really specific about what those are. Mm -hmm. What I've come to in the last few years is that I'm trying to work on taking care of my presence. If I rest well, eat well, and work on being present, and then I, I put myself out there so I, like, I engage with other people, how things emerge from there, I'll trust it. I'll, I'll go with it if I'm doing those things. It's when, I aren't, when I'm not doing those things that I can get frustrated with how things are turning out mm -hmm. but if I'm doing those things it's going to be fine yeah eat well rest well exercise put yourself out there connect connect with people that you're in your, who are in your world see what happens yeah so far so good cool but we'll see we'll see well anyway I think that's it that's a decent conversation alright let's uh, let's monster baby over and out all right, so that was episode number five. Yeah, big number five. Happy, happy fifth episode, Ted. Quintiversary. It's our quintiversary. Happy quintiversary. Um, so I, so the, yeah, that was cool. I liked it. There's, it's a humbling conversation for me mm -hmm. because I think I should 
in some ways, I, I try my best to not use this word should, and yet it rears its head. Yeah. Like I should set goals and accomplish more, and I want to get better faster than I'm getting better, and yet that's not, it's not, that's not the truth. That's not who I really want to be. Mm -hmm. So there's something about redoubling efforts to be present and to, to be, allow to for be, process. And, to be how you want to be. That's right. Yeah. So this conversation was really um, stirring that way. And I reminded myself of the importance of eating well and sleeping well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I might just go take a nap. Well, no, I, I can't do that right now. But. I loved your input um, by from John Tarrant's book about sometimes you have preferences and it's fine to notice that and right. act on those. It's and fine. Absolutely. So so let's let's go over who the books with that that we talked about. Yeah, so this book John is by John Tarrant. It's again called Bring Me the Rhinoceros and other Zen koans that will save your life, uh, published by Shambhala Press. So check that book out. It's a lot of short, each chapter is a different koan, and he works through them. Really interesting read. Cool. And the book that I mentioned was The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. It's yeah. a pretty good read. It's all about being present. He's he's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, he was he's he's been writing good stuff for a long time, and, yeah. or was writing. Um and then I also want to really encourage folks, you know, hopefully you can hear in these conversations how much Lisa and I love diving into this stuff and how we don't have answers, but it's all an inquiry. This is the kind of stuff that we do on our retreats, our mindful play, playful mind retreats. And yet we're also playing improv games and doing mindfulness practice and mindful stretching and going yeah, for walks. Diving into both and then and then talking about everything that's inside everything that's inside that experience. Yeah. So we would love for you to join us at one of these retreats or to suggest to somebody else you think might like it. Yeah, and we've got two opportunities for that to happen. Once in June, June eighth to the thirteenth in Maine, Mere Point, Maine. Just outside of Brunswick. Just outside of Brunswick, Maine. And then the second one is over Labor Day weekend, September Two to five. Two to five in Petaluma, California. Just north of San Francisco. So if this stuff seems interesting and, and juicy for you, then we hope you'll join us. Yeah, and check out animalearning.com mm -hmm. uh, to find resources for those. Um, and then with the podcast, we want to encourage you to spread the word, yeah. let people know. We've gotten really sweet uh, reviews and people have said some really nice things about it and seem to be enjoying it. Yeah, uh, so we'd we love really to reach thank more you for we really thank you for listening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really exciting to be able to bring this stuff to an audience. Yeah, and I think one of the things that will help us reach even more of an audience is if if you have the impulse, uh, if you can go to iTunes and write a review or leave a rating, that will help, and uh, that sort of gets on their buzz meter, and then. More people find out, and more people find out. And then we take over the world. And then we take over the world. With our mindful, our, our play, playful, mindful message. Everybody breathe, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also want to let folks know, because there, there may be some folks out there know about the uh, teacher training that I will be leading for this .b mindfulness curriculum that we mentioned in, the, in this podcast. So it's a four-day training where we teach people how to do the curriculum by putting them through the curriculum so you get to experience what students experience. And it's a mindfulness training course for teenagers. So if you're interested in that, check out mindfulnessinschools.org and look for uh, upcoming courses. Yeah. I'll be leading one in uh, 
New Jersey in July, 6th to the 10th, and then probably in Atlanta in September. Oh, great. Mm -hmm. Cool. So check it out, people. So there it is. Thank you so much for joining us. Delight to have you with us. And we'll see you back for episode number six. Amen to that. Have a great one. Bye-bye.